This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. For years, your favorite cup of coffee and your daily newspaper have been synonymous with each other. But it turns out that that morning routine is just another thing being disrupted by the digital age. Carell Cooper, the senior vice president of Live Intent, explains it like this. More and more people are waking up in the morning, grabbing a cup of coffee and opening up their inbox. So gone are the days of opening up your door and there's the newspaper on the front step. It's now your inbox. And I think publishers and brands recognize that. So how can brands take control of a consumer's inbox? And where should they be focusing those efforts to win open rates? Carell joined Marketing Trends to discuss why email marketing continues to thrive and why content is more important than ever. Plus, he talks about the need for marketers to understand why the death of third-party cookies might be a good thing. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends, and today we are joined by special guest, Carl, what's going on? I'm doing okay. How about yourself, Ian? I'm doing great. Uh, I have uh, an exciting episode for our listeners coming, and, and, I, and I can't wait. You're also a fellow podcaster, which I appreciate, so you know, uh, you know the drill. We're going to talk about uh, your show, Minority Report, a little bit. And, uh, and everything that's going on at Live Intent in your background. So how'd you get started in marketing? Yeah, sure. So um, first, uh, again, super excited about this conversation. You know, I've been in the ad tech and martech space now for about 20 years. Um, I've spent the first 14 years of my career at publishers. Most notably, I was at a local news publisher called Advanced Digital, where I led operations and platform partnerships, which included basically managing our our ad tech stack, right? So our ad server, our DMP, our viewability vendor, our audience extension platform. And at the time, I was actually a customer of Live Intent. So that's how I got to know Live Intent, really being a, a customer. And I made the jump to Live Intent six years ago to lead account management. And uh, after doing that for a couple of years, I I moved over into the marketing role. And so I've definitely had a a non-traditional path, I guess, to being the the head of marketing, as you can say. But I think a a few things that I I bring to the table, which I think are unique and are needed in uh, marketing is one, I have a great understanding of who our customers are because I used to be a, a customer. Right. Um, I definitely have a revenue mindset from my days of leading account management and and growing our our customer base and and growing adoption for our products and services. And then lastly, I've been a manager for the majority of my career. And so bringing uh, a level of leadership skills and then surrounding myself with people that are are subject matter experts in, in the different areas of marketing is, you know, what I've done in this position. Yeah, totally. Have you found that kind of like switching switching gears from uh, from the account management piece uh, over to marketing allowed you to kind of see the see the company a little differently, see the product a little differently? It definitely allowed me to see the product uh, a little differently, and it also 
I think has given me a level of empathy for other areas in the organization, right? Because I know what the account management team goes through on a day-to-day basis in terms of being on the front lines and, and working with our customers and being an advocate for our customers. And again, like I said, being a former customer, I also have that experience and, and mindset as well too. And I, and I think all of that has been helpful in not only um, how we create our messaging, but also how our teams work with the product organization on improving our products and services as well. Yeah. So for listeners who don't know, can you share a little bit more about Live Intent? Yeah, sure. So um, Live Intent, we are about 12 years old as a, as a company and really started out as a way of solving dynamic ad delivery within email newsletters. So if you think about what Google does on the web today with Google Ad Manager and, and delivering ads and, and helping publishers monetize their inventory, before we existed, that was missing from the inbox, right? So a lot of publishers would hard code ads in their newsletters or share or, or sell um, their newsletters on, on share of voice. And we brought that dynamic ad delivery technology into the inbox for our publishers so that they can sell impression-based campaigns just like they would on the web and have all the targeting criteria in the inbox um, like they do on the web today. And over the last uh, 12 years, our business has evolved into really helping over 2,500 publishers and brands acquire, retain, and monetize their audience all around a common stable identifier, which is the email hash. So today, we see about 250 million unique uh, readers within email newsletters. Email is 100% logged in environment and opt-in as well too, just like a lot of the, the social platforms that marketers like to use. And I think what is super unique about us is that for all of our targeting, for all of our reporting and attribution, the email hash sits at the center of that, not a cookie as you see on on the web today. And if you think about how you use email today, how any individual uses your email address today, it is really your digital passport to the internet, right? There isn't much that you can do online today without your email address. You use it to log into social, uh, you use it to buy things, whether that be on Amazon or eBay or your favorite retailer. You're even using it for streaming television today, right? Logging into Netflix, Hulu, and, and, and those types of services. So, you know, our, our bet is that the uh, email address and email as a platform is a key part of digital marketing today and also into the future. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that part of the thing that we saw as marketers um, with like when people kind of started talking about like email is dead and all these sort of things was, I think this understanding that like, the email address is so important that now once you get, you know, 100 emails a day, 200 emails a day that you have like all this stuff uh, and then you have, you know, Google jumping in and saying, okay, well, we're going to create the promotions folder. We're going to create the updates folder. We're going to create the social folder. You know, all of these things that that you look at and are like, okay, someone else is now controlling the message, not the user, right? Like, I mean, even if you opt into having folders, like there's still, you don't choose which folder it goes to unless you have to take an action, which is like this like huge thing. We can obviously like get into that whole piece a little bit. But I think that there's this idea that, you know, newsletters, because early newsletters were like 80% click through and, you know, or 80% open rate or 99% open rate, 80% click through and stuff like that. So you have this moment where 
uh, where email is, you know, people thought that it was going to go away or was going to get worse because of how popular and wildly successful it was like back in, you know, the early days of the internet. And now you have this thing where, you know, 20 something years later, it's still, it's more important than ever. And now, as you said, it's this, it's this passport that gets you into everything else. And oh, by the way, it also puts the email from your mom right next to the email from a brand potentially. And now people are more cautious than ever in using it because of those reasons. Yeah. And I like to refer to email as the original social media. Sure. It's been around forever. It's one of the original ways that we started to communicate with each other from a, a digital perspective. You know, prior to the pandemic, we, we looked at some studies uh, and, and looked at some research that was out there, right? And, you know, email has uh, a better return on investment than, than social direct mail, paid search, right? If done right. People, to your point, right? You, you know, you get emails from your mom, you get emails from brands, you get e- emails from people at work, right? That's why people are spending, you know, more than five hours a day in their inbox. Uh, and that, that goes across work and, and personal and I think what we've seen here is as the pandemic hit us in the U.S. in March, the importance of email has accelerated even more, right? And what, and what I mean by that is we ran our own study at, at Live Intent where we reached out to customers, right? And 53% of publishers reported a boost in email newsletter engagement. 71% of publishers are leveraging email uh, newsletters to achieve their goals of of growing their audience, and on the marketer side, seventy three percent of marketers are increasing their investment towards email. And so, I think as as we've all been home and we've gone virtual, email has become that much more important to consumers to receive content and to evaluate uh, brands that they want to work with. And and I think marketers and publishers recognize that as well, too. Yeah, I mean, I think the other piece of this, you know, Ben Thompson, who writes Stratechery, uh, was talking about this a little while ago on his podcast. Like, email's not going anywhere. That's the other thing. There's nothing that's even close to it right now. No. I mean, you have lots of, like, authentication things out there, which is, like, you know, you can authenticate in different ways. I think identity is obviously going to be, like, that's the the rise of identity is is huge right now to figure that out, you know, right. who are your customers, who are your, you know, prospects, who are, who are you, who are your employees? Yeah. Are they the people that are supposed to be doing the things that they're supposed to be doing? And I think that's going to be super fascinating. To that point about, like, email not going anywhere, right? I also look at it this way, right? In in my eyes, email has replaced the newspaper, right? And and what I mean by that are one of the first things that you do, which everyone does in the morning when they wake up is they check their email. They check it to see what's going on at work. They check it for their news, right? They check it to see what's going on in their community. And so more and more people are waking up in the morning grabbing a cup of coffee and opening up their inbox. So gone are the days of opening up your door and there's the newspaper on the front step. It's, it's now your inbox. And I think publishers and brands recognize that as well too. And so I, I agree with you from that perspective, if you think about consumers and how they consume content, I don't see email going anywhere. I only see it becoming more and more important in our lives. When I think, um, I think you can make an argument that the newspaper I like that analogy. I think you can make an argument that 
the newspaper is, you know, TikTok for a certain age range right now. Maybe it's Facebook for a different age range, or maybe it's, you know, Twitter for another group of people. And that all people have their own social platform du jour, Mm -hmm. but nobody has an alternative platform to email. Like that's the thing, right? Yeah. And so you might not be on TikTok. And if you're a marketer that is looking, you know, if I like, I'm, you know, I'm not using TikTok every day. And if you're a marketer that wants to reach Ian, well, you know, you, you don't know which social channel I'm going to be on necessarily. Mm-hmm. And you have to invest money into spend all to all of those different things. Mm-hmm. But you know that I'm going to be on email all day, every day at work. Now, the other side of that is, you know, back in 2005 or 2006, when some savvy marketing teams, you know, at Salesforce realized that you can, you know, email high and, uh, and that, you know, senior leaders are going to forward your email on to the right people on their team and that sort of thing you had from a B2B perspective, this obvious thing that, hey, we know budget holders are CMOs, budget holders are CIOs, we can email high, we can get into the sales funnel. Now you have tons and tons and tons of cold outreach uh, that happens all the time, tons of noise and tons of, you know, brands or uh, random people or salespeople that are flooding your inbox. So what, what do we do about that? And what is like, how do people, how do we figure it out as marketers to be like relevant and impactful and not just spammy? Yeah, uh, that is uh, a great question. And I don't think that there is a um, magic bullet to answering that question. I think continuing to test is something that all marketers need to do uh, in the inbox, right? And and utilizing data to make decisions. I'll give you a great example. So we had the CMO of Bombas, the, the SOC company, on our um, bi-weekly webinar series earlier this year. We just had her on the show. We just had her on Marketing Trends. Yeah. She's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Maybe she told this story, but you know, she utilized um, email and the engagement um, that she was seeing in email to uh, shift messaging during the pandemic, right? So she talked about prior to the pandemic, how Bombas used a lot of language and was promoting their no-show sock, yep. right? So the sock that you wear and you know you don't see it. She just sent it to me in the mail after the episode. Shout out to Kate. Yeah, she literally sent me one because I was like, I didn't know you had a no-show sock. Post-pandemic, what Bombas noticed is um, the engagement within their newsletters was declining. And what they realized is that as people were working from home, the no-show sock really wasn't all that relevant anymore. What was more relevant were socks that were going to be comfortable, right, while you're at home. And so they used the data within email um, to alter their messaging to making sure that they were still providing a great service to their customers, still being able to sell their product. Right. But all that came from uh, testing and paying attention to how their users were responding to their email messaging. Yeah. uh, She did share some of that on the show. And I think it's a fascinating look at how to use your data to figure out something that you own. And I think that the thing that's great about that is it, I don't know how much money it cost them, but I would imagine it cost them virtually nothing because they own the channel. And that's a very powerful thing. I think 
So, and this gets back to like owned versus not owned channels, right? Where you're like, okay, well, I own my email list. I own my website. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're, let's say making, you know, a podcast or something like that, you don't own the, the access to sharing on, on, you don't own Apple podcasts, but you do, it's an RSS feed, right? So you, anyone can create a podcast, which is like an audio stream. It's very similar to a newsletter in that, in that respect. But you do, uh, you don't necessarily know who's listening, but you do control the flow of information. Mm -hmm. You compare that to social media, it's the exact opposite. You don't own your audience. You don't own how you can communicate with those folks. And it's a lot harder to tell from a data perspective unless you put money into it, right? which is not great. <laughs> and we, we do spend a lot of time talking to our marketers and publisher clients at Live Intent about that very same point, right? In, in terms of taking back some of the control that maybe you've given up over the years to the social platforms and controlling your own destiny a bit more especially as the clock continues to tick on the death of the third-party cookie, right? And, and what that means for your messaging, what that means for really monetizing, uh, acquiring, and, and retaining your audience and the importance of uh, that email address uh, and, and growing your email subscribers. Because the larger um, your, your data set is from a first-party data perspective, right? the more you're in control of your own destiny. And Ian, I, th I think that that's the point you're, you're trying to make there. Yeah, totally. And it's like, it's non-negotiable, right? And it's like the same thing. Um, it's the same thing investing in your website. It's the same thing at understanding your website. You know, we had, we had someone on the show talking about websites a little while back and how few people out there, how few marketers are completely adjusting their website to the person who's visiting, Right. It's like, that's like such a obvious thing to do when you have so few advantages as a marketer that you can control, controlling the digital experience that someone who comes like, if Corel comes to a website and Ian comes to a website, those two experiences might be completely different, or maybe they should be completely different based off our interests or whatever it is or what we want to see. B2B can do this a little bit better because you know you have people's email addresses and and things like that. But the thing about an email subscriber list is like it's it's the first step. Now, the other piece of that is like I think you can't just like kind of build the list and then just kind of like not worry about the data piece. But I think that the ways that you can communicate with your customers is endless. And what's so often we've done because it's really hard to do like lots of variants and lots of different things. And uh, obviously on this show, you know, we're, we're sponsored by uh, Salesforce marketing. So we, we talk a lot about, you know, ways to do really intelligent automation. Yeah. But when you think about it and you're like, the ways that you could have conversations with people are, are endless. And yet so much of what we do is one size fits all. I'm going to just send an email to the whole list. Like, it's crazy when you think about it. It's insane. And, you know, I was thinking about my own personal experience, right? I'll, I'll use I'll use the ESPN example, right? So ESPN, I log into their site. I've given them the information as to, you know, who my favorite sports teams are. And so every time I open the app, I just don't get this sort of generic ESPN homepage. 
my homepage is tailored to my favorite soccer team, my favorite college football team, my favorite NFL football team, right? And so that keeps me more engaged on, on, the, on the site, right? The flip side of that, bringing it back to email, one of the things that we've noticed at Live Intent, and this is specific to direct-to-consumer brands, is we've seen direct-to-consumer brands really start to invest in content over the last couple of years, right? Really making that investment. And the reason why they're doing that is it, it's a retention play. So how do you keep um, people coming back and engaged with your brand after they've actually purchased their, your product, right? A great example of that is um, Bevel, which is basically a, a men's grooming uh, company, right? And, and I have the product, I use it to, to shave, so on and so forth. But one of the things that they do is they, they send out newsletters on a regular basis. And the newsletters are not just about them selling their product. Their newsletters are about providing uh, tips for shaving, providing tips for you know, uh, skincare, those sorts of things. And, that, and that's what I mean by sort of investing in the content side. And so for me, as someone who's bought their product, they keep me engaged in their in their brand by the content, you know, because I'm not buying another shaver for a long time. So the content is what keeps me around and engaged with their brand. And I think like that is one of the ways that more and more marketers, more and more brands should consider as we move forward, right? That investment in the content side and really acting like a publisher almost. Yeah, totally. I mean, we got to get Tristan on the, on the podcast because uh, the Bevel story is just so incredible. And if you get him on your podcast first, recommend him for mine. We'll do a, a home and away. But no, I mean, I, I think Bevel is, is the perfect example of this for this where it's a company that stood for something that, you know, had a, had a stake in the world and said like, there's got to be a better way. Yep. And then they deliver on that promise over and over and over again. And it's no surprise to me. I didn't know that they're investing in content. Yep. It's no surprise to me that they would be doing that because they want to continue to build an audience. And the thing is, I think we've heard the adage that like, you know, every company is, is, you know, a technology company, they just don't know it. And, and we've, we've kind of heard the adage that like every product is actually a media company and they, and they just don't know it. Uh, or maybe they do know it. But I think that that is the thing that I think you had this flip where publishers weren't prepared for the the, the digital evolution, obviously. Yeah. But the direct-to-consumer brands figured it out really, really quick because mm-hmm. they had to. Because they're like, this is the only way that if the only thing that we have to sell our product are online ads and our and our digital experience and our newsletter, then those things better be damn good. Yeah. And I think from that perspective, direct-to-consumer brands don't have that that legacy that maybe more traditional publishers have that that weigh them down at times. And and you're right, when a when a new um, direct-to-consumer brand pops up. They really care about two things: one, growing their audience, and two, growing uh, and and making sales, right? And and nothing else matters until they they start to scale. So, what are some of the things that you've seen on the platform? Obviously, you work with with both uh, publishers and advertisers, so you get to see both sides of this. What are some of the the best things that you're seeing from advertisers right now that that are able to leverage? newsletters to great success? I think it goes back to um, the three points that I was making earlier in terms of monetization, acquisition, and retention. So some of the, the customers that we work best with on our platform 
are leveraging email to do all three, right? One, they're selling uh, ad space, ad inventory in their own newsletters, which is bringing a level of revenue uh, in the door that maybe they didn't have before. So that's a good play for for revenue diversification. Can we kind of get into that a little bit more? Because it's not something we've talked about a ton on the product. And I was talking to a friend about this the other day. So the idea is like, let's say you're, you know, Bevel, right? right. And you have, you're investing a bunch of money in content yep. to create it like a killer newsletter. Yep. And you have, I have, let's just say a million subscribers. I don't know what Bevel actually has, but let's just say it's a million subscribers. In this case, Bevel would be putting ads into their newsletter. Mm-hmm. Other people's products, like, so, I don't know, whatever, some other product, they're promoting fantasy football in their product because they're like, hey, we know our customers like this stuff because we know them really well. We have data that they like fantasy football. And so we're going to use this. And then they're getting that kind of revenue stream. And then they could potentially take all the money they make from that and reinvest it in the growth of the newsletter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and we have have publishers and, and brands that do that today, right? I, I think um, I think the trick there for for a company like uh, a Bevel, right, uh, a brand that is selling their own products, one of the things that we have to be super careful of is making sure that ads don't appear in their newsletters that are competitive to them in nature, right, from their own brand. And so we will sit down and we will work with a brand to come up with a strategy to make sure that the right types of, of ads uh, are appearing in their newsletters that don't take away from their own content. And we've got plenty of, of use cases out there. We've got a, actually a great um, Groupon case study on, on our website that, that speaks to how, how we work with them on that. And so uh, with, the, with opening up the ad space that allows um, us at Live Intent to bring demand into uh, the newsletters, or uh, again, that brand that has their own uh, sales team can sell uh, that inventory as well too. And yes, any money that you make from that, you can reinvest in your newsletter program. The other area within all that where we coach brands is you can utilize that ad space to dynamically deliver your own content or your own products to your subscribers too. So Ian, going back to what we talked about earlier around personalization, right? If I'm a subscriber, let's just stay on the Bevel example. If I'm a subscriber of Bevel and you are as well too, and we have two different interests in the products, when I open the newsletter, right, the ads that I get should be different from the ads that you get, right? And that, and that, can, and that could be a way that Bevel uses our technology to maybe you know, promote skincare products to me and the razor to you. What do you think is the level that marketers are leveraging their own lists to that have ads for other stuff? Because we see it on people's websites, like right. I don't know, more frequently for sure. What would you say is like, what's the, I don't know if you have any statistics on this. Yeah, I, I don't have a, a percentage. I would say that it is, it's been growing over the last couple of years. I, I think, I think traditionally brands have been much more protective of their email newsletters uh, than they have been of maybe say their websites, right? And to your point, right? You've seen, you see much more ad delivery for different products on, on web than you do in newsletters. But I think, again, as brands get more and more comfortable 
with uh, email as a monetization vehicle as they get more and more comfortable with email as a way of delivering um, personalized products, we're starting to see that that side of the business grow. Like I said, we've got a, a, a great case study with Groupon, who's actually doing uh, this with us today on our websites, and and we're starting to see it grow much more. Obviously, it's it's kind of always been there on the publisher side, but when we're specifically talking about brands and marketers, we're starting to see that grow a bit more now. Yeah, I think another thing that's that's tough about publishers is. Uh, you know, and using websites versus email is like, you know, if you have this gigantic sprawling website with like tons and tons and tons of content versus an email newsletter, which is extremely narrow and focused, both literally because it's on your phone, but it's also, it's, it's very narrow and focused, right? I mean, I think there's a huge opportunity in creating more creative content around those things. Like why is Bevel not, maybe they are, why are they not creating like fictional series, right? Or something like that. Like why there's all sorts of things that that they could be doing because they have such a, you know, a clear audience and demographic profile that they could be creating those sort of things. And if you can deliver it like directly to people's inboxes in a way that, you know, is not just pushing product or, you know, to segment them in a new way. It seems like there's not a lot of people doing that to make like a really killer newsletter. The like one I read every week. Teen Zuo from uh, Zora writes this article about like subscription economy stuff from, uh, and it's just killer. It's just like really good. And it's written by him, you know, and his team. Yeah. But it's just like killer stuff. And it's not at all, you know, and they have a very content marketing philosophy, but like, that's the sort of stuff that you just, you look at and you're like, this isn't products and services. It's not features and, you know, benefits. It's pure play content marketing that is high quality stuff. You know, I think that goes back to my point earlier about more and more brands needing to invest in the content side, right? I also think you um, are touching on something that I think is going to be a big trend um, going into 2021, because I I feel feel we we will all be virtual uh, for the most part next year. Hopefully, I'm not uh, saying anything that's bad news to anyone or or being a downer. But I think if you think about the virtual world and what you just said from a content marketing perspective, I think content marketing becomes that much more important while everyone remains at home, right? So, you know, how are you retaining your customers? How are you selling more product? How are you educating the marketplace and creating awareness? I think content marketing becomes that much more important. I think the creativity around it becomes that much more important next year as well, too. You mentioned, uh, you know, the the death of the third party cookie. We've talked about it a little bit on the show, and you wrote an interesting piece about you know why people need to utilize their own data more. Can you just like share what happens with with the death of the third party cookie? Like, where are we heading with this, and and what does this mean for marketers? Yeah, so. Um, Safari and Firefox have have already made that change, right? In in their browsers, in terms of and 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 let's be be clear here, right? The browsers are making these changes with respect to third party cookies to protect consumers first, which I think is is a good thing, and and making sure that if consumers are handing over their data and information, that they know that they're doing it, they and that they consent to do it, right? 
So Google made an announcement earlier this year that they will be phasing out um, third-party cookies over the next couple of years. And so with that said, um, you know, the majority of, of digital marketing that occurs today is based on, on third-party cookies, right? And so I think from a, a marketer perspective, marketers need to be asking themselves, one, um, how reliant are they? on the third party cookie today to reach their audience? And then two, what am I going to do when that piece of technology or that piece of code goes away so that I can continue to communicate with my customers and continue to sell product, right? And at Live Intent, again, um, when you think about our 11 plus year history, we've been operating in an environment um, which is email that the browsers are, are catching up to, right? We've been operating in an environment with no cookies. We've been operating in an environment where uh, you have to consent and opt in to receiving the content. And we've been operating in an environment that has had strict um, privacy and regulation rules, right? Just think can spam. And so we are now taking our knowledge over the last 11 years and our experience to figure out how we help our customers really continue to monetize their audience, retain that audience, and and to grow that audience and sell product. Switching gears to you marketing for Live Intent, obviously being head of marketing, um, you are uh, you're also bringing in you know new customers. What are some of the campaigns that you've enjoyed over the year? What's kind of your marketing strategy? Yeah, so um, we rely heavily on uh, on search for marketing. Right. Um, that that is one of our our number one ways of of bringing in inbounds and bringing people to our website, where we sort of detail out all of our our products and solutions. I would say another area that has been big for us in the past that has certainly changed has been events. Right. So in the past, sponsoring events, sending salespeople to events, flying all over the country and all over the world has been huge for us from an ROI perspective. Obviously, that changed uh, tremendously this year. And so we, we've had to be flexible and, and switch up our, our strategy a little bit. And that's one of the reasons why we started our own biweekly webinar series at Live Intent called Real-Time Banter, which allows us to connect with, with publishers and marketers on a frequent basis, as, as well as prospects. So, you know, as we plan ahead and look ahead for to 2021, what I'm thinking about now is, is again, what's going to be those things that replace the in-person events? Because I, I just don't think we will be in person for 2021. And so uh, I'm thinking through our, our content marketing strategy. I'm thinking through long form content. I'm thinking through how we partner with uh, other technology companies in the space to do our own events. These are all um, areas that we're, we're thinking through because I think similar to this year, 2021 will be a year like no other, especially from a B2B marketing perspective. Any particular campaigns that, uh, that stood out for you? Uh, over the past uh, six years? At Live Intent or just marketing in general? <laughs> oh, either one. Uh, wow, that's a big question. Campaigns that stood out to me. A lot of the social campaigns that Nike has done, uh, they've stood out to me, whether that be um, the Kaepernick commercials or the Serena Williams commercials. Those have, have definitely uh, stood out to me. It's funny. You know, we probably, in terms of like campaigns that people are jealous of, it's like, 
it's got to be like half of marketers are jealous of the Kaepernick campaign for just how how well Nike did it. And just it's just it's crazy how, you know, standing for something and evangelizing that is like what Nike's been doing for, you know, 40 years and what Apple does and like what the best brands do. And yet, like we as marketers get scared to like take a stance. <laughs> I, I hear you. And and uh, it, it's. um I don't think companies and marketers can do that anymore, right? Considering the, the, the year that we just had, I think more now than ever, your message has to, your, your values and your beliefs have to come through in your product messaging. Totally. I think one of the shifts that we've seen this year is more and more consumers are not just looking at the brand name when they buy products. I think they are looking at does this particular brand, do their values and beliefs align with my values and beliefs? And more and more consumers are making product purchases based off of that, which I think is a good thing. And so that, that is something I would, I would urge all marketers, whether it's B2C or B2B going into next year, is how do you make sure that your values and beliefs as an organization come through in your product messaging. Yeah. And, and we've seen, we've had some guests on who have talked about, especially like younger audiences, like they, they absolutely vote with their money that way, right? Like they're, they're looking to put their money into, into products that have social enterprise products that show the stuff that they're doing that don't just like talk about it. Yeah. Even from um, a recruiting and retention standpoint, um, you know, we, we've been fortunate to continue to make hires at Live Intent this year, right? Even with everything that's going on in the world. And we see it more and more now, especially with kids that are coming out of college or just entering the workforce. You know, they're, they're no longer just asking about the company uh, culture, if you will, they are asking about um, your beliefs, your stances, and they, and they want to see receipts. They want to see what you've done as an organization to promote and foster diversity, equity, and inclusion, and social justice, and, and all of those things as well, too. And so it is a requirement now for more and more people that are, are looking for jobs. And, uh, and I think companies also need to recognize that you can't just you can't just put a slogan up on your website or on Twitter. You actually have to have something that that's behind it of substance. You have an awesome podcast called Minority Report um, that our listeners should go check out. You just passed 60 episodes. So congrats. Thank you. Um, why'd you start the show? Yeah. So um, my buddy and I, Eric, we started the show two and a half years ago, really out of um, necessity for when we went to um, industry events, we would look around the room and we wouldn't really see many people that looked like us, right? And um, when we would go to these events, we really wouldn't see many people that were on stage that looked like us, right? And so the idea there was really to create a platform to highlight people of color, women, LGBTQ plus community and, and other um, underrepresented groups within business, media, and technology. And so that, that's how it all started. Um, that was the idea behind it. Uh, like you said, we are, we are 60 episodes deep and, and really have created this, this catalog of content of diverse leaders who provide career advice, 
who um, tells stories of how they got started in their career and how they got to the, the position that they're in today, provide thoughts on diversity, equity, and inclusion within their, their industry. And so, yeah, it's been an awesome journey to create that podcast. Uh, really glad that we did it and looking forward to the next 60 episodes as well. Yeah, indeed. We are too. Let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. Salesforce brings marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Lightning round. Crow, are you ready? I don't have a choice. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, you don't. Number one, I know you can't choose one because they're all probably your favorites, but do you have... uh, uh, a newsletter that stands out that you get in your inbox that you particularly enjoy? I'm going to stick with Bevel. We talked about it earlier. It, it is one of my, my favorite newsletters that I get because I love getting the grooming tips uh, and, and uh, those sorts of things. So it's, it's one of my favorites. Yeah. Do you have a habit or hobby that you picked up in shelter in place? A habit or hobby? Uh, I'm a cyclist. I love to, to road cycle. I've been doing it for a few years, but it's definitely picked up during the pandemic, I recently completed my first century about four weeks ago. So did 101 miles. Wow. Congrats. Thank you. I uh, am horrible at bicycling and uh, I could probably make it 101 feet. <laughs> Actually, I don't think I could. I take that back. Um, my trip to Copenhagen was very strange. Like there's bikes everywhere. Do you have a favorite uh, book or podcast or, or TV show that you've been binging recently? You know, the one of the shows that I, I love watching that I've been binging on and have been going back and watching shows over and over again, it's on HBO. It's LeBron James' show called The Shop. Yeah. Yeah. Love, love that show. Uh, I think the way they created that show, which is literally in a barbershop having frank conversations, has been awesome. You know, they, uh, they, I think they've stopped producing it, obviously, because of the pandemic. And plus, he's been down in a bubble in Florida winning another title. But I, I hope that that show comes back soon. It's one of my favorite shows, definitely. Great idea. Great idea. Great execution. Uh, and, and, and well done. Yeah. That's, um, I couldn't agree more. Do you have a best piece of advice for a first-time head of marketing? Yes. Continue to be a student of marketing. I think that is one of the things that has helped me to continue to grow in this field is you are never, ever done learning as a marketer. Um, I was on a call with someone earlier today, someone that I'm mentoring, and I was, I was talking to him about my years in this industry and being in, like I said, ad tech and martech for, for 20 years. And if you think back 20 years ago, when I first started, there was no YouTube. There was no Facebook. There was no Instagram. There was no Snapchat. There was no Twitter. You know, streaming television hadn't taken off the way it is today. And so if you think about all of the tools and platforms that marketers use today to do their job, most of those didn't exist. Really, the only ones that the only one that existed at that time was email, right? <laughs> uh, and so the point that I, I'm, I'm making there is you have to continue to learn. You have to continue to be a student. You have to continue to test new platforms. That's the only way you're going to stay in the space and and continue to be relevant. If you weren't in marketing, what do you think you'd be doing? Wow. If I wasn't in marketing, what would I be doing? Well, my first major in college was accounting. 
believe it or not. So <laughs> glad I make the choice that I made, but uh, may, maybe that's what I'd be doing. Maybe I'd go back to working with numbers again uh, or more closely working with numbers to be an accountant. <laughs> Where should people get started on Minority Report? What's the first episode that they should they should listen to? Go back to the very first one that we did in May of 2018 with uh, Stephanie Laser, head of, of programmatic at News Corp. That is the first episode we, we ever did. We got together in person with Stephanie in a conference room. We opened up a couple of beers. We hit the record button and we had a conversation. And I think that episode really sets the, the foundation and tone for every episode that we've done since then. Awesome. Thanks. Appreciate, uh, appreciate you coming on. Any, uh, any final thoughts, anything to plug? Obviously, our, our listeners should check out Live Intent. Go to liveintent.com to learn more about the platform. Uh, and there's cool advertising solutions on there you can check out. Anything else? Yeah, just, uh, you know, we, we do have, like I said, a biweekly webinar series called Real-Time Banter, where um, we have a different thought leader from the industry on, uh, and we're talking about topics that are most relevant for marketers and publishers. So that's a great way to if you're not familiar with Live Intent, that's a great way to get to know us and, and uh, get involved in the conversation. Appreciate it. Thanks, Carl. Thank you, Ian. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. 
Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.